Hey, my name is Tiffany Vaughn, and I'm on a mission to help regular people like me find their voice and then use it for lifting themselves and others up around them. I'm a small town mom to three kiddos with my hubby James, and man, have we been dealing with a lot. But isn't everyone? I lovingly call it our hard, beautiful journey, and I bet that yours is too. In season one, I tossed the bricks from my shoulders that were weighing me down. Bricks that represented shame, embarrassment, regret, loss, you name it, I was feeling it. I am now taking those bricks and building up a stronger foundation for myself and our family. I've created this safe space for me and you to open our hearts and our minds and to use our voices to help others know they are not alone in their struggles. Mental health, marriage and divorce, infertility, parenting, and some soul journey work are all topics that we discuss here. Let's be real for a minute. Life can definitely be hard, but it can also be so dang beautiful. Am I right? So pull up a cozy seat, grab your beverage of choice, and join me as I help others talk about their hard, beautiful journey. I know they will inspire you as much as they inspire me. So let's get started. Hey there, welcome to Hard Beautiful Journey. Thank you for being here with me today. On today's episode, I have with me Sean Tyler Foley, otherwise known as Tyler. And I can't wait for you to hear this discussion with him. Tyler has been acting in film and television since he was six years old. And he is an accomplished film and stage performer. He's even appeared in productions including Freddy vs. Jason, Door to Door, Carrie, and the musical Ragtime. Tyler is also passionate about helping others confidently take the stage and impact an audience with their stories. And he is currently the managing director of Total Buy-In and author of the number one best-selling book, The Power to Speak Naked. So as many of my loyal listeners know, one of my goals for this year is to be on a stage and tell my story to many people. So Tyler's information, Tyler's tips, Tyler's strategies are so invaluable to me right now. And I absolutely loved our conversation. And so without further ado, here is my interview with Tyler. Tyler, I am so excited that you are here today on my podcast. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing really well. And I'm actually really excited too, because I know you and I have talked a little bit off air about uh, your wants and desires to be a public speaker and some of the fears that you have around that. So this honestly, of all the podcasts that I do, uh, this is probably the one I've been looking the most forward to. Excellent. So yes, what Tyler just said, I, a lot of my audience knows, my faithful audience knows that the beginning of 2021, I said that I was going to get on a stage and actually give a speech and tell people, more people about my story. And (laughs) I don't know how, but I know it's the universe. The universe puts people in your path at the exact right time when you need them. And lo and behold, there comes Tyler. And Tyler has been in the film and television industry since you were six years old Yep, and in some pretty incredible productions, which I hope you talk about some of those. And you are also a very accomplished keynote speaker, coach, and mentor. And I cannot wait to get into this discussion with you. So where do you want to start? I want to hear about your acting first. Oh, everybody wants to hear about the acting. It's the fun stuff. It's Hollywood. Yeah. I'm kind of (laughs) Um, a Hollywood geek. So yeah, well, and so am I. I mean, when you grow up in the theater and film and television, it it kind of becomes your life. A good friend of mine, Peter and I, um, he's a cinephile. and, And in the true sense of the word, he has in the hundreds of thousands of DVDs, like you, you pick the movie. He used to be a former um, video store clerk. And when those went the way of the Dodo, (laughs) he gathered every DVD he could. He has like his own video store in his basement, big, huge 
massive television and and he loves playing the but do you know this game and you know uh, we had a little thing in the new year where we were sending each other the best trailers ever made and yeah. i think we had we came up with like a list of a hundred it was uh yeah so i i'm a film geek and you can't help but do that when you when you've grown up and you've met some really cool people as as i have so i again started in the theater when i was six years old and um by the time I was 17, I had graduated a fine arts high school and moved out to Vancouver, partly because I had been told that I would never make it as a working actor. And that kind of um, drove my passion yeah. and uh, landed my first role within a couple of months of being out in Vancouver. And then got to work on some really cool films. Uh, the ones that people go through the IMDb, the one that usually stick out, people like to ask about are usually Freddy versus Jason or uh, Scary Movie 3, um, Carrie. But uh, honestly, the one that my most favorite that I've done is a little film called Door to Door. And it had William H. Macy and Dame Helen Mirren. And I got to do a scene with just the two of them. And it was just fantastic working with them. Uh, I got to jam in my trailer with William H. Macy. He was learning to play the guitar. So he came in and, and played guitar in my trailer with me. I'm a drummer. So yeah, you yeah, are a was, drummer too. Yeah. Get out of here. That is yeah. what I'm learning to do in June. Oh, yes. So yeah. much fun. Drumming is one of the most cathartic and most liberating instruments to play. Um, I, I love it for the rhythm of it, for the musicality of it, for trying to make music out of rhythm. Yep. Everything about drums brings me joy. My dad is a musician, so I've grown up around music and I would always, always grab the sticks from the drummer and just yeah. pound away on them. And I've always been doing my air drums. So yeah. I just finally said, no, I'm actually going to take a full drumming lesson in June. So I I'm so excited for that too. I'm excited to hear how it goes. May it be the beginning of a wonderful and joyous, rewarding journey for you. And loud for my family. <laughs> oh, so that's the great thing. So I, I have neighbors who hate that I drum and rightfully so like, I'm not <laughs> mad at my neighbors. My neighbors can be mad at me. It's justified. Uh, but I've got uh, two separate digital kits. I have a digital kit that I can actually take um, and perform on stage with uh, that costs just a gross amount of money. And then I have a nice little practice kit and you can get some really good, uh, excellent feedback kits. And they're like, you know, 500 bucks yeah. like there you can get them less than you can get an acoustic kit and with the proper feel and everything like uh Alesis and roland have some really good uh kits so there you go look into that you don't have to worry about the loud <laughs> perfect i'm doing it can't wait <laughs> so that um how did that lead into your speaking career well so i've always i mean again i've always been on stage right so six years old i was uh perform and did my first play and about eight years old I started doing regional speech competitions where you'd go and you know, memorize a poem or some kind of work and um and deliver it and so I I was always doing some form of performance or live public speaking I just didn't realize it was a thing that you could get paid for for a very long while and then again being an actor um, a lot of times I'd get asked to MC. I'd MC friends' weddings. I've I've I'd can't, I've lost count of the number of friends' weddings I've MC'd. I've actually and MC'd then, two weddings, so I've done that too. See, yeah. yeah. So you're already a public speaker. So we're you're already on board. We're going to work from that. I'm I'm excited to get into that too. Okay. Um, but and then it's been interesting because you know you MC a friend's wedding and inevitably one of their bridesmaids is about to get married too. And they're like, Oh, will you come and MC mine? And I'm like, sure. And then, so that started being paid. And then as a, just as somebody who is confident speaking, any of the jobs that I've had, I've always risen as kind of a, a leadership role and often would get into a training role. So I, I worked for uh, one of the largest airlines in Canada for a long while and became a trainer there uh, was a trainer for a telecom company that I worked for for a while. When I started my own business, then you're naturally training. And I eventually I started 
being a full-time trainer, people would hire me and contract me out to train their material because I gave it better, apparently. Flair. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I think that's it. I think just in infusing a little bit of flair or a little bit of personality into the material and caring about the people, right? Because you come into a training session and you're like, oh, this is going to be eight hours or 16 hours that I will never get back. And I've been that person. So it's just I... <laughs> stepping into it, having a little bit of sympathy for them and being like, look, I'm going to make this as interesting as I can for you. Yeah. I promise you, you will learn something. And if you only learn one thing, I've done my job, but let's try to keep you conscious while you're learning. And <laughs> then we're all happy. Breathing. Let's just keep you breathing. Yeah. <laughs> well, cause I mean, it's hard for everybody, right? If you're somebody up there and you're delivering material and your audience is completely tuned out, it feels bad for the audience and it feels bad for you. So it was one of those things where when I took on a training role, I really promised myself that I was going to deliver material better than anyone else. It became a, a goal and a trick. Mm -hmm. And again, pulling from the acting, that was where I, I learned a lot of what I would do. You change your tone, <laughs> yeah. use a little bit of emotion, you know, worry, all of these little tricks that we use as actors just naturally yeah. uh, became a, a really good tool in my arsenal when I became a speaker. So to answer your question, I don't know when the official transition came because I've always been speaking. I've always been getting paid to speak in some form, but when I really started to hone my own material and present myself as a keynote speaker would have been about six years ago. Uh, and I started doing this full time. I also noticed that you also train on health and safety as yes. a speaker. So interesting as well is in the last year and a half, I've taken on the health and safety role at our company. <laughs> and that is something that I don't know how you can put positive, not positive, you know what I mean? Like flair mm -hmm. into one of those presentations. So I'm interested in that as well. So that is actually what really, you know, sharpened my teeth with public speaking. When I was acting, I was an actor who also did stunts occasionally. So I, I know there's a couple of people uh, who I know who are really good uh, stuntmen. So when people refer to me as, oh, you did stunts. I'm like, oh, no, no, I, I, I did my, I did stunts, but I'm not a stuntman. There's and, um, yeah. but I really enjoyed it. And some of my favorite stunts that I got to do were jumping out of windows because I'm small. I'm only five, seven ish and about 135, 140 pounds, depending on the month and the year, but I'm, I'm tiny. So I look like I fall longer. We all fall the same distance, but I just look like I fall a bigger one because of my size. Yeah. And so they used to love pushing me out of windows and I used to love doing it. And when I retired from acting at 25 and went back to school, I got, um, uh, I got into engineering, um, an engineering degree in geomatics. So earth, uh, earth study, map making and surveying. Yeah. Uh, I started my own company and my primary client was the government. And when you're with the government, you have to have all the safety protocols in place and meet their guidelines. And so I had to do a whole bunch of safety training. And when I was doing the safety training, I remember thinking to myself, oh, this was brutal. I could do so much better. And every time I hear that in my head, if I'm going to make the statement here, I better show up and actually do it. So I started looking into, well, how can I become a trainer? And, you know, particularly with the one association, because they trained a lot. And I just started asking, like, what do I need to do to do this? Mm -hmm. They're like, oh, well, we need trainers. So if you do this, 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 and this, you can train for us. Yeah. It was a really easy process for me to get into. And really the key with making safety interesting is the key to making anything else interesting. And it's find out within your personal story why safety matters. Mm -hmm. And especially in safety training or like I don't know if your listeners will know the term, but a toolbox talk or a tailgate meeting, yep. which is the morning meeting that kind of kicks off the day's work, particularly on construction sites or, or large industrial sites. Most people think that they have to be the one to talk, right? Like it's my meeting. I'm the supervisor, I'm the foreman, or I'm the lead hand or whatever your title is. And you've been tasked with having to read today and these are the hazards and blah, blah, blah. And it's boring because everybody's heard it before. 
So yeah. what I started doing was asking the workers, you know, what are some of the hazards you guys know that we're going to face today? What's anything that you can think of that maybe might be different that, that we wouldn't normally address? What does that mean to you? Has anybody ever worked with this before? Did anything ever go wrong? What went right? And you start asking those questions and you get them talking. Mm -hmm. An interesting statistic that I learned um, uh, in studying uh, public speaking, because it's my gig and my jam. Yeah. When you have your audience participating, particularly if they're speaking and they're providing input, your engagement is 92%. If it's just a dialogue if or if it's a, a monologue and you're just speaking and they're listening instead of a dialogue, then the engagement goes down to 78%. So you lose 14% engagement just by just doing talking. this alone. Yeah. Right? Wow. That and really good info. Holy. Yeah. So for anybody out there who, who is in that position where you're having to do safety training or give safety information, I know it's boring. You know, it's boring. And guess who else knows it's boring? <laughs> Everyone is Everybody. listening. Yeah. So it's not a matter of trying to make it more interesting. Because there's only so much that that's going to be interesting. But what is important is getting people's opinions and feedback. Ask them, and particularly if you can tell stories, because stories are universal. Um, one of the things I do in a training program that I uh, run called Fundamentals of Safety Leadership, we have people share their stories. And in the end of the first day, I asked somebody if they would give a story about a safety moment the next morning. And then we give them a prep and we give them a little bit of guidance, right? As a public speaker, I don't want to just throw somebody to the wolves mm -hmm. and we give them about five minutes to do it. And we always tell them, tell us a personal story of a time when something impacted you greatly. And they always do. And those ones have the most meaning they have, you know, people feel the empathy, especially because stories put us into your shoes. And now we, we can't help but empathize with you. Mm -hmm. So that would be my, my, first tip to you if you're having to present safety information don't present safety information guide the conversation and let them present safety information and you'd be surprised at how quickly the engagement increases and 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 ultimately the safety on the site improves wow that um that is definitely going to help because yeah you can just feel it it's palpable right when you are going to be having those meetings and it's just like it's actually, it feels like going to the dentist and, you know, <laughs> no, I think some of them would rather go to the dentist. I think they would. So no, that'll be, that'll be really good. So stage fright. Mm -hmm. Have you ever had it or was yes. it just in you that this was you? So here's the funny thing. I have had stage fright distinctly twice in my life. I know exactly the circumstances around it, but I didn't know what stage fright was for a very long time because I was given the gift of being on stage very young. I mean, anyone with young children will know that they have no fear. Mm -hmm. My biggest fear as a parent is the fact that my daughter doesn't have fear right now. <laughs> She's yep. five years old and she will run off and she will do anything. The world is this big, wonderful, exciting place to her and she doesn't see the dangers yet. Yeah. And I have to remind myself that a lot of those dangers don't actually exist, mm -hmm. right? As a parent, I have to worry, well, what if somebody comes and takes her, right? She could get kidnapped. Is that a possibility? Yes. Mm -hmm. Is it a probability? No. Right. And because she hasn't learned to fear anything, I have to fear for her. But what happens is we grow up we learn those fears, right? I, I'm trying to instill in her, look, you can't just run out the front door because a car could hit you or you could disappear or something could go wrong, right? Especially now, right? You could pick up a deadly virus. Like mm -hmm. there's a lot of things that are being crammed into her that will eventually develop these various fears that she will then be more cautious of. But because when I was six, I got put on a stage and I didn't know that you were supposed to be afraid of that. I was just told, go up and do this thing. Yeah. And on top of it, it was the first time I made an audience laugh. Oh, yeah. And as soon as you hear that, like, you know that you had the power to bring joy. 
Yeah. And you, you feel that energy of people laughing and it's because of something you have done. I was hooked. So I didn't know to be afraid of the stage. I knew that it was where I made people laugh and I could make people cry and I could get applause and even better. I can get standing ovations that include applause and noise and just the feel of that. Yeah. The adrenaline. So, so for a very long time, up until I was 14, I didn't know any better. I just thought the greatest thing that you could do was go up and stand on stage and perform because you were going to get applause and joy and make people feel good. Mm -hmm. But when I was 14, I was asked to present um, a poem for our Remembrance Day or Memorial Day service. And I'd been doing that poem for years. I think I think I, the first time I delivered it for a school auditorium, I might have been nine or ten. And you know, I had it memorized. I knew how it went in Flanders fields where the poppies grow among the crosses, row on row. Like I just I knew that poem down. But in this particular circumstance, uh, it was a an assembly in my junior high. And uh, while I was getting prepped to give this poem, uh, at the beginning of the assembly, they wheeled in this veteran in a wheelchair. And he was, he looked like he had been there. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like he, he had his medals on, like he was in his, his dress uniform and he was wheeled in in this wheelchair and he had this walking cane with him. I think he might've used it to like help him get in and out of the vehicle or something. To this day, I don't know why he had the wheelchair and the cane, but I just, I remember that cane. And I remember when they introduced me to go up, I'd seen him out of the corner of my eye. I was like, Ooh, that guy was mean. Like he had these, he looked like if you had taken um, Clint Eastwood and then punched him in the face. Oh dear. Like he, <laughs> yeah. Right. And he had these steely blue eyes. And I just, I remember him staring. He looked like he stared into my soul. And they introduced me to come up and I'm looking at this gentleman and I'm like, what do I know? I don't know anything. I'm a 14 year old kid. This man has actually seen the war. I'm about to read a you know, this poem. And I bet you he's actually been to Flanders Fields. Like he's been to these services. He's laid wreaths for people that he knew. Like yeah. I'm just talking about a theoretical thing in my head that I don't even know that I've really studied, but he knows it. And I'm having all of these thoughts go through my head and I stand up to the podium and I go. And nothing came out. I had <laughs> nothing to say because I didn't know what was going on. And I, I, I judged myself so much in my own head that I completely and totally lost the words. And what's worse is most people are smart and bring the poem up with them, but I've had it memorized for five years, so I didn't even bother. And because I was so cocky about it, I, I didn't study it the day before or anything. Like I didn't review it. I just kind of went, yeah, no, I've got it, right? This will be one minute and I'll be fine. Yeah. And so the vice principal had to come and he like, Oh, excuse me off. And I went and then they found me a copy of it. And then I came back up and read it eventually. But it was the first time that I really felt the stage fright, you know, the, yeah. the everything leaving my brain, my mouth, the sweat, the, you know, the damp, clammy feeling, the heart racing, all of the things that people talk about, about stage fright. I yeah. finally went, Oh, I get it. Yeah. And it. years later, I've been able to analyze why. And it was because of, not because I had a fear of public speaking, that couldn't have been it, because mm -hmm. I don't. Yeah. But what I had in that instance was a fear of judgment. Yes. And ultimately, that's what stage fright is. We're not afraid to speak in public. You and I do it on a daily basis. Everyone listening to this right now speaks in public daily. Mm-hmm. It's just the thing you say, you're not worried about people judging you. When you start to worry about what you're going to say, that's when you start editing your words, right? Maybe you don't tell that story or maybe you hold back and you don't share that thing. Mm -hmm. And it's that fear of judgment that starts to create the stage fright. 
So I remember when I was, I think I was about seven or eight years old and we used to have um, like these epic lip sync battles, like epic, like men at work. Yeah. Remember men at work? Oh, I, I love men at work. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, I, we were badass, and, and I was up there and had like zero, zero concerns. And so something happened and I don't know what it would have been. I, I honestly don't even remember what happened, but it was probably around when I was 10 and I was terrified of mm. even being seen anymore. And, yeah. and that's when it was like, I don't even want people seeing me or even looking at me or talking to me. Right. So it's interesting how something can happen in your life that turns you from being like wanting to be seen by the world to don't even look at me. Right. Mm -hmm. And then coming back from that and like making, getting that confidence back in yourself. Mm -hmm. And I'm, 46 and I am finally starting to get that back. And I, I just can't wait to hear more strategies on how to even increase that more. Well, so one of the ones, and, and I think this will speak to you because I know you're a big proponent of the fact that the mess is your message. Like, mm -hmm. I know, I know you believe that to be true. I believe that to be true. I speak about it in my book and in all of my training seminars the way that I word it is that what you're afraid to say is what your audience probably needs to hear. Absolutely. And it's, it's having the courage to get vulnerable quickly. And one of the first things that I would say to all your listeners is I want them to think about the last time they went to any kind of presentation with the exception of the safety folks, because they will judge up front <laughs> right? because they've been to a thousand of them. So they're going to be like, yeah, this will suck. Mm -hmm. but for the majority of people, the majority of the time, if we're going to go to a talk or a presentation or some kind of public event, we don't go and sit down in the audience and think, man, this will suck. I hope the speaker, you know, doesn't know what they're talking about. And I bet you, I'm going to know more than them. And I hope this is boring. Uh, you know, like we don't, those thoughts aren't the things that run through our heads. No. And yet those are the thoughts that are usually running through a speaker's head about themselves in the presentation they're about to give. That's so and, true. <laughs> and what they need to know is the audience doesn't think that. Yeah. And you know that because you've been an audience member. Mm -hmm. And the audience is usually on your side. Like they, we want you to succeed because if you succeed, we succeed. And I come in always with the expectation that this person is going to share something. And I mean, I've been public speaking for 35 years, and I still learn things from speakers all the time, new and old, because there's always a gift somewhere to learn, um, whether it's a lesson of what not to do or a technique to incorporate to do. There's always, always something to learn. And so I'm I'm constantly going to presentations and none of them have I ever showed up to hoping the worst would happen. Mm -hmm. I'm always excited for the best. Mm -hmm. So the first tip for any new speaker or even a seasoned speaker is to remember that the audience is on your side. They want you to succeed. All you have to do is go out and be yourself. Now, one of the quick ways to do that is uh, it's such a dated reference now, but and it's a very niche reference too, but if anybody has seen Eight Mile with Eminem, yep. right? And the rap battle at the end, what does he do? He, you know, they're rapping back and forth and they're, they're trying to do the insult slings, right? Mm -hmm. But Eminem ends up winning that battle by spinning his own story, right? <laughs> he disarms the other person by saying, yeah, I'm this, I'm this, this happened to me, this happened to me. And what? Yeah. Well, so what yeah. are you going to say? <laughs> yeah. And by being upfront with the truth, by being vulnerable and honest, it disarms everything else. Now the argument, you've controlled the argument. Mm -hmm. And for so many people, we're so afraid to say that, that inner truth. What if they find out? Mm -hmm. What if they find out about insert blank? 
Well, what if they find out? Because nine times out of 10, you're not the only one who struggles with that thing, whatever it is. And when you are open and, and discuss it honestly and give your viewpoint, the audience is on your side. You may have a, a very small fraction, five to 10% tops who go, oh, nah. Mm -hmm. But that isn't your audience. And you can't please everyone. And when we see as a human being, if I see somebody vulnerable, our instinct is not to pounce and attack. It is not our natural instinct. We naturally gravitate to love, which means we naturally gravitate to support. I see you hurting. My first instinct is to give you a hug. Mm -hmm. It isn't to push you down. Yep, absolutely. And that's a universal truth. So when we open ourselves up and we give vulnerably, our audience is on our side instantly. Um, and again, I don't know how many of your audience will get this reference, but a really current example of that is RuPaul's Drag Race, season 13. <laughs> um, one of the queens opened up about her struggle being of Muslim descent, an immigrant to the United States, and gay, yeah. <laughs> and a drag queen on top. <laughs> and, and when she was trying to do this, this monologue speech, and she had given this very dry one, and then the judges had said, look, open up and tell us about you. And then as soon as she got into that and did this one woman play where she was talking, she played her mother, her father, and herself. And she wow. started opening up about this, about what it, what those different identities meant to her. Oh man, tears streaming down the judges' faces. I'm not going to say whether or not I cried, but I know um, I had the feels. I think my, you might've had the feels. <laughs> I, I definitely had the feels. My, my wife was sitting beside me and she, she, God bless her, is one of the most emotionally touched people <laughs> when we watch TV. We're not allowed to watch TV without a box of Kleenex. So, yeah. um, you know, it's, it's that vulnerability when people open up and expose themselves that bring your audience in. So I can't stress it enough. The thing you're afraid to say is very likely the thing that your audience needs to hear. And if you can express yourself truly and fully, mm -hmm. the ability to change the world is endless. And I know that for beyond truth, because since I've started doing it with this podcast, Mm -hmm. It has changed my life in so many ways. And it's because I made the decision to speak my truth, be vulnerable and share with people what has been going on with me. And yeah, I, I can't describe exactly how it's changed my life, but it's incredible. So I know that for truth. And, and again, let's delve into that just for a second, because how does it feel you know, how did it feel before you started talking about it? It felt like I wasn't being real. Like it honestly didn't feel like I was being authentic, that word authentic, but it didn't feel like it, like I was being me. Mm -hmm. And as soon as I started talking and saying all of the things that have been going on in our lives, it, it, I couldn't stop. And the thing is too, that I want people to know is anything that I share with my audience that is personal and, you know, it impacts my family. I'm definitely going to get, you know, approval from my husband that he's okay with that being shared. And, you know, like I, I respect that, but it's my truth. And mm -hmm. it was like, shame was released mm -hmm. and I don't carry it anymore. There's no shame anymore. And now it's more just about helping other people and educating them or entertaining them with some of the crazy that has gone on because <laughs> people need that as well. Right. So, and what was the audience reaction? So, uh, tell me what the audience reaction was. And then I'm going to ask a follow up question. Love. Right. And what was your, in your imagined head before you started talking about your story? What was your biggest fear that the audience reaction would be? Well, the day I hit publish, 
on my first episode, no word of a lie. A lot of people know this. I was hiding underneath my desk in the fetal position. I was terrified and I, I had absolutely no idea what I was expecting. I just thought that some people would say like, what are you doing? Like, why are you sharing that? Like that Mm -hmm. is way too personal, you know? And that is honestly what I thought some people would say. And it was the exact opposite. Right. So Tiffany, (laughs) follow-up question when you think about going on stage, because I know you still have a, a bit of a fear around mm-hmm. public speaking, is it a similar feeling to the fetal position underneath the desk? No. Mine is more of a physical fear, like the physical, because I turn eight shades of red mm-hmm. when I, when I, attention is on me mm-hmm. and when, or if somebody embarrasses me. And And that's hard to recover from. And that's me being, being vulnerable right now too. Right. Like I cannot even fathom that happening and I would die. So it's not my message or like actually speaking the words, because I'm getting more and more comfortable with talking and, and doing and delivering a message. Mm -hmm. It's more the physical reaction that I'm worried about. So it's funny because, uh, um, my sister-in-law who I also coach because she came to me she's like Tyler I I need to I need to get better at this public speaking thing and uh, I emceed her wedding as well um has a similar issue and and she's like well I flush every time I talk I'm Mm -hmm. like so it's a physiological reaction and she said yes and now here's the thing she's in the medical field so I said to her Jackie is there any way that you can control a physiological reaction And she said, no. I said, so why are you worried about it? You're going to flush, flush, get red. Do you know how many people actually notice when you flush or get red? Mm. Almost none, especially if you're up on stage, right? So think about it. You're up on stage. There's probably at least 10 feet between you and the nearest audience member. Yeah. On top of it, there are all of these lights. True. Hanging on, right? So you're probably going to be warm anyway. So that's, that's going to be a thing. Probably, even for me, if you're up on stage, you've had some form of makeup applied. Yeah. So although you feel that you have flushed and that's a physiological reaction, there's nothing you can do about it because that's your body being like, look, probably what it is, is your body going, look, I'm ready now, right? Yeah. You, you are getting ready. You need the energy. You need the blood pumping. So mm-hmm. all that is, is your body going, okay, we're ready to go. So instead of looking at him being like, oh, I'm mortified. I'm turning red. What are people going to think about this talking tomato that's come to give them this information? (laughs) That's exactly, exactly what I'm thinking. (laughs) But nobody thinks that and almost nobody can see that. Yeah. So like for me, like I can't do anything about it. I I get flushed in my ears, right? I, I get the, I have the big Dumbo ears and there's nothing I can do about it. And you don't put makeup into your big Dumbo ears. So they just, they're going to go red. Yeah. That is how it is. You can do a couple of things with it. You can bring attention to it if you want. Like yeah. I'll always make a joke. I'm yeah. like, Hey, you know, don't mind me while I just sit up here and sweat buckets. <laughs> right. And then everybody's yeah. like, ah, <laughs> and then you go on and then they don't notice. They don't care. You've again, it's that M&M principle. You've disarmed it. You've set it up front and now they can't do anything about it. We've acknowledged it. And now we've moved on. Yeah. Or, you can just ignore it because probably no one else notices. And as you get going with your speech and, and the blood dissipates through the body and gets to where it needs to be, the flush goes away. Yeah. So whether people can or can't see it is debatable, but will it go away is a guarantee. Mm-hmm. And like anything, getting the, you know, saying the thing that you're afraid to say out front, if you can get over that initial. <gasps> then the rest of it is easy, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, you, like I, I have the opposite. So for me, when I'm on stage, I, that's when I'm, I'm jazzed and I'm, I'm going. But even right now, as I speak, because I'm so animated and because so much of me goes into presentations, as soon as I'm done, I get icy cold. And so instead of being flushed, I get super pale. Like people think I'm going to faint and pass out. And like my hands, like you could feel my hands right now. 
Yeah. They are ice cold and will be until I'm done presenting and have had probably about a half an hour to, yeah. to get back into normal stasis. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I've never known why that is. And sometimes I, I know when I've given a really good performance because I'm shaking afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And it's not I, out of fear or anything. It's just, I'm, I'm literally that cold that I'm like, oh, that was a good show. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've taken on their energy as well, right? That they've, yes. they've gravitated towards you. Have you, so after I gave my speech um, on Zoom, mm-hmm. I literally crawled up my stairs to my bedroom and passed out for two hours. Mm-hmm. I was exhausted from mm-hmm. the pent up nerves and, and the fact that I knew I did a good job yeah. and that I, I had nothing to worry about. So I was just like, Oh my God, yeah. have you ever had that? Oh yeah. Um, in fact, with all of my um, seminars and workshops. So when I'm doing the two and a half day seminar and the five day workshop, for the two and a half day seminar, I actually book off. The reason it's a half day at the end is so that I can get home and collapse. And then I take a full day. Like when I'm booking my time, nothing gets booked. If it's a, a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, nothing gets booked on the Monday mm-hmm. because I, I just, I can't. I'm, I'm physically drained because I give so much. If I'm not drained, it's a warning sign that I didn't do a good job. Yeah, right? that's so true. It is true. And yeah, and when with my five day, if I'm doing a full five day facilitation, um, and those are Intense. those are fun because we work with uh, usually the the maximum attendance to any of my five day workshops is eighty people, and so there's a lot of one on one interaction and small group interaction where I can actually work with people and and help them but I booked the two days off. So like a five day facilitation for me is, is technically it's actually a 10 day thing. So I've got the seven days plus a day of setup on the front and two days of just don't talk to me. Don't touch me. Don't do nothing. And usually I will, if I can, I will bring my family with me. Mm-hmm. And if I can't, I get home as quickly as I can. And then I try to schedule at least one of those days is just a movie marathon with my daughter. So we just watch cartoons and eat popcorn and hang out. And she knows daddy doesn't move. (laughs) Just decompress. Can you go get me a water, love? (laughs) Here you go, daddy. Yeah, that's great. And we just snuggle. And then that recharges me. So what do you, how, so my story has um, hard moments in it Mm -hmm. and Um, I've been known to be a crier Mm -hmm. and that is probably something that I, I don't worry about, but just getting into that spot where it's like, okay, here comes the ugly snot cry. And Mm -hmm. in front of like hundreds of people, what do I do (laughs) when that happens? So there's a, I'm really glad you brought that up. And I actually did um, a a training video on this a few years ago because I had a similar uh, situation happen to me. So I've, I've known for a while, like when you tell a story, you want to give the emotion in it. You can't, don't be afraid of emotion because I, when you're doing the ugly snot cry, what is your audience doing along with you? They're they're digging for the tissue, (laughs) right? Everybody is a big ball of mush. And we all get to have it out and we all get to feel the feel. And it's important that we do that because if you're feeling that we need to feel that that's really, if you can get an audience to that point, if you can get you to that point, you're doing good. If you get the audience to that point, you're doing excellent because that is true storytelling. When you can impart an emotion, right? We go to a play or a musical and something happens and and, and the whole audience is just sobbing along with you. That's an incredible performance. And if you as an individual speaker can get that, whole it's good the problem is is when we get stuck there yeah right where you you start telling this story and you get so wrapped up in the emotion that now all of a sudden you don't know where to go mm-hmm. and so you need to have an emotional out i know i witnessed a, a very very graphic industrial accident when i was working for the airline and it forever changed me it set me onto a path of safety. I had a couple of different things that knocked me onto the safety path. This one was definitely uh, a nexus point for it. 
But when I'm giving the fundamentals of safety leadership presentation, I talk about it. You know, I say, you know, this is, this is why safety is important to me and why I do what I do because I witnessed this. And when I was telling the story this one time, I, I literally saw a man get liquefied by a propeller. And when I tell this story, the, I, the only thing that I remember of the incident, uh, it was like a horrible magic trick. This man walked towards a chalked wheel and into a propeller. And the only thing that was left of him was literally a single boot that didn't get taken. And when I tell that story, I go back to it. Cause like I, I was there. And you saw it with your own eyes. I, I saw it. And, but this one time I was telling this story when I was delivering this, this presentation, I, I was there, but I was really there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I started to have a little bit of PTSD. Oh yeah. And there was just no way I could. Now the great, the grace that I had in that situation was I, when I ever I'm doing that, I'm usually facilitating it with one or two other instructors and the instructor at the time uh, could see what was happening and came over and kind of took me to the side and said, see, this is, and he finished what was supposed to be my finish of the speech. This is why it's important to you because I don't ever want you to be in a position where you are haunted with the memory of the single boot, right? Yeah. And that usually has a big impact. People are crying and it's, it is how it is. So my, my um, other instructor helped with that, but I had to go into the corner and just be like, okay, where are we at? Let's, let's reset. So what I learned from that, and I've known it for a while, but I had to be reminded in that situation is that we need to have uh, emotional outs. So it's really important when you're planning your talk that you know why you're saying a thing when you're saying the thing and you need to know um les brown says it way better than i could he says never tell a story without a point and never make a point without a story Mm. so stories are powerful but if there isn't a point behind it there's no sense in telling it it's just allegory at that point so make sure that your story has connection and point to it yeah and part of that is when you're telling it if you know why you're telling it, then you know what the end result is. So as I'm fitting this story into this presentation, I now need to come back to my point so that I can land it with my audience. Mm-hmm. And if you structure your talk so that this is the story and this is the point that I'm emphasizing, this is where I'm going to hit that emotional point. I'm going to get to the peak. But now I need to, I'm for myself, I need to bring myself back, but it's also a horrible thing to do to your audience to just leave them dangling in a bit of despair. Yeah. Right. So I need to bring, I need to bring my audience back and it works on the other spectrum too. So if you have this really high comical moment and you've got them laughing and, and uproarious, you still need to bring them back. Like we, it doesn't matter which emotion we're taking them to, whether it's anger or sadness or joy or anything else on the emotional wheel. We need to bring them back to center. Yeah. And so knowing what the point of the story is and being able to anchor them back and say, this is why it's important to you. And you bring it back to your audience, why you told the story, it'll help refocus you because now you're not worried about you in your head. Mm -hmm. You're like, okay, how am I going to make this important for my audience? And by being able to take that energy and project it back to your audience, it helps calm and center you. It helps bring your audience back and it helps you control the narrative and the emotion. Mm-hmm. Holy. And that is a mic drop, like right there, honestly, because, wow, that is one of my biggest, not fears, but it, like I said, it's just something that makes me nervous that I won't be able to come back. But I know that with those tips, I can write a speech that will bring me back. Mm-hmm. So any other tips for me? Yes. So you, I, I, I just, I want to ask really quick because I, I'm curious to know the answer because I feel, I think the same way you avoided and shied away from the word authentic. Tell me why. 
is a really good question, Tyler. Hmm. I don't know. I think it's because people keep saying that it's overused. Yes. And that we shouldn't be using it now. And, you know, shouldn't, should be. Uh, yeah. Don't, don't let anybody should on you for one. Um, <laughs> but I, so I think it is not overused, but rather misused. Yes. And I think the problem is, is you have all these people who are like, well, that's just who I am. That's me being authentically me. And yet, even in the way that they say that's just who they are and being authentically them, you're going, BS. Yeah. I know that to be false because we as human beings have this innate natural ability to detect BS. We know when somebody is lying. We, whether we are conscious or subconsciously aware, something is out of tune. We know when somebody is not being honest. We know when they're not being truthful. We know when they're holding back. And so when somebody is, well, that's just who I am. You just have to accept that. That's authentically who I am. That's my authentic self. No, no, Mm -hmm. it's not. And one of the reasons why, again, I preach that the thing that you're afraid to say is probably what your audience needs to hear is because when you're not saying it, there's a disconnect. And we can feel the disconnect. We don't know what it is, but Mm -hmm. something ain't right. Yeah. And so my last tip to your audience would be, and to yourself, obviously, Tiffany, is that authenticity is synonymous with self-awareness. You can't be authentic and show up and give your message if you don't know who you are. And if you're not willing to do the deep dive work on yourself, nobody's going to listen. Yeah. Cause they'll see through the crap right now, right now. And I am so grateful that I've made the strides to actually let people see who I actually am, mm-hmm. because I think that will actually help me when I do get on the stage because the, uh, some of them would have heard it on my podcasts, right. Of, mm-hmm what, what has gone on in my life. So this has been unbelievable, (laughs) honest, honestly. And so what would you say would be my next steps in order to get in front of more people? Get in front of more people. I I know that sounds that easy. (laughs) Yeah. I know it sounds redundant and ridiculous, but honestly, hosting your podcast is going Mm -hmm. to be great because now you're having conversations. You're forcing yourself to do a little bit of prep work and have conversations. And remember, whether it's you and me talking one-on-one or you talking to two people or four people or eight people or 16, the exponential out, it doesn't matter the size of the audience. You're just having a conversation. Mm -hmm. And I know when I'm giving my talks, you know, largest auditorium that I've spoken to in the last 15 years would have been about 4,500 people. And even in that presentation, I was talking to about five. You just picked them out and just looked I at just, them? I found the friendliest faces, the people who looked like they were on board with my message. I looked for the head nods. I looked for the smiles. And I just talked to them. And the funny thing is, when I gave that presentation, I actually had in the audience, there was more than a few CEOs. And at least three of them came to me and said, hey, that was great. Would you mind giving that as a keynote presentation at our next AGM? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I'll do that. Yeah. So seek out those opportunities. And I know right now it's difficult because having the live conversation is not really a thing happening in the world very much. Mm-hmm. But anytime you have the Zoom or you're doing the podcast, and when we are able to mix and mingle again, look for those speaker clubs. Um, look for the opportunities, even within your own job, right? You're in safety. You're going to have a chance to talk all the time. Mm -hmm. So take a couple of the skills and work them for a week or two or three. It's like anything else. If I want to have six pack abs, I can't watch videos on the internet of people working out and sitting on my couch going abs are coming, right? Mm -hmm. I can have all the theoretical knowledge up here. My heart could want it. My mind can know how to do it. But if I don't go out and actually do the thing, it's never going to happen. And I'm not going to get good at it without repetition. So you need to do it and do it a lot. I, the, one of the reasons why when I'm not out on stage, 
I'm doing podcasts like this is because at least two to three times a day, I'm going to get out and get a chance to practice my message. Mm-hmm. And I don't get locked into a speech either. Yeah. So I, you know, the same that you and I would have an organic conversation. I have my content. I know what is in my book. I know what's in my courses. I know what my life story is. That's the great power of story too, is nobody can tell it better than you. Yeah. But I'm looking for opportunities always to speak. And the more you find them, the more comfortable you will be. Because I promise you, there are days where I do not want to do this. Mm-hmm. But it becomes practice where, no, look, I'm going to do it. I'm going to get over it. And then I'm always happy when I've done it in the end, right? You wake up in the morning, I don't want to go and do the. I don't want to be on the podcast. And then I get to have this incredible conversation with Tiffany. Yeah. And I go, oh, I'm so glad. I'm so glad I was able to do that today. Yeah. Well, and it's pushing for me right now. It's pushing past that fear, that insecurity. Right. And then you just build that muscle. And, and I know that it's, um, I've built, I don't know if you know my story, but I was painfully shy, like, Mm -hmm painfully shy. So from going from that to this and actually having a conversation with you, it just takes practice. Mm-hmm. That's all that it takes and just keep working that muscle. Well, and one last tidbit for you. You're not broken. No. Okay. You have all everything that you need to be an incredible speaker. You already have mm-hmm. because you've got the story, you've got the drive, you've got the want it's now it's just a matter of doing. Like we are all born ready to do whatever it is that we want to do. We are enough already. Mm-hmm. Now you just have to execute and, you know, don't, don't be afraid of a little imperfection. Yeah. I promise you, if I tried doing everything right all of the time, I'd never do a single thing. I, I put out bad, bad videos before we ever re-edit them to be good just to get, make sure that the content's out there. Yeah. And you know what? there's people who don't mind the bad video because they still get something out of it. And then as I can improve the messaging, it just gets better. Yeah, exactly. Where can people find you? Oh, best place to find me is on my website, uh, seantylerfoley.com. And I spell Sean the proper Irish way, S E A N, just like Connery. Are you Irish too? I am Irish too. Me too. Yes. I could tell by the hair. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, um, but my yeah, grandpa is, my grandpa is very Irish. So yeah, yes, big Irish family. So, all right. So any other place or just on your website? Yeah, no best place to go is uh Any one of your listeners who want, I have a free download up in the upper right corner. You just click it. It's called the method. And it's an 11 page sheet. It's um, five insider tips that I've learned over 35 years. And I'm happy to give that to them. It's a quick little delve into my method for public speaking. And anybody who wants it, seantylerfoley.com and just click on the method and it'll take you over to the landing page and we'll get you all set up. Excellent. Thank you so much for your time today. This has been fantastic. And I know it's going to land for a lot of people. So thank you very much. And thank you for having me, Tiffany. Tyler Foley, I hope you know how grateful I am that you took the time to be on my podcast and guide me and my listeners to becoming more confident in telling our stories. I believe everyone has a story to tell and everyone has a voice. And that voice could be used to write your story or to tell it in front of one person, five people, or 5,000 people. The tip that sticks with me the most, as I know it to be absolute truth, is the thing that you're afraid to say is the thing your audience needs to hear. If you can express yourself truly and fully, the ability to change the world is endless. So well said, Tyler. Thank you. Please make sure you check out Tyler on his website at seantylerfoley.com, and that's spelled S-E-A-N, T-Y-L-E-R-F-O-L-E-Y.com. Check out his free offer called The Method and his incredible book that he so graciously sent me called The Power to Speak Naked. Next up on the podcast is another guest that is helping me in developing my presentation skills, but this time the focus is on getting this face of mine on video. 
I know I am not the only one whose armpits start sweating profusely at the idea of being in any kind of video footage. Well, that is me. I am perfectly comfortable being the filmmaker and getting all of your beautiful faces captured, but my own? Nope. So I need to work on that. My next guest, Elsvina, has some fantastic tips to get me showing my mug every day and provide value. So be sure and check that out. Until next time, please be kind and stay well. Bye-bye.